Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Last week saw Jesus do an inner healing, a healing of memories in Peter, so that he would be affirmed and actually sent forth and commissioned anew to do the kingdom work that Jesus had called him to. And he continues to do that. We're uh, on Good Shepherd Sunday. Um, I think that has to be my favorite hymn of all time. I just love the images that, of course, come from the 23rd Psalm of being gently laid on his shoulders and carried home. Just comes and continues to heal us today. Um, And we're going to uh, look at how he continues to work through his people, through his church, even to this age today. So I'm looking at the the small passage from the Acts of the Apostles. I'm delighted that the Bible study groups at the end of the summer when they reconvene are going to be delving into what is Luke's second book. His first book being his gospel, the Gospel of Luke, both written to some Somebody called Theophilus, and he continues that writing with the second book of the Acts of the Apostles. In our Sunday morning readings, unfortunately, we only get to delve into the Acts of the Apostles uh, primarily during this Easter season, and that ends in Pentecost. So we have a small amount of time, and there's so much wealth in there. There are so many stories of the early church that are written to really encourage us as we continue, as the Holy Spirit continues his acts through us. It's really the, should be the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, and so it continues to be the little Holy Spirit through us. But I want to hear, um, in fact, I'm going to go slightly before that, because one of the things that Luke does is that when he's writing about Jesus's parables, when he's incorporating that into his book in the gospel, and then again when he um, is writing in the Acts, what, what Luke tends to do is do a story on a man followed quickly by a story on a woman. Um, Luke is, is probably the primary writer who lifts up the ministry of women in the early church. He makes sure that we know these stories of women in the life of the early church. So right before, immediately before this story, um, Peter, who has left Jerusalem, Um, quite possibly because of the persecution that started up after the stoning of Stephen, um, he's gone out and he's visiting all of the um, local areas where Christians are coming together. They're not even yet called Christians. They will be later on um, in the church in Antioch. But they're followers of the way at this point in time, so kind of a Jewish subsect, if you will, followers of this Messiah who they acknowledge was the Messiah who died and who rose again. And so he's going around all of these places and he's ended up in the plain of Sharon, about 10 miles from the coast at a place called um, Lydda. 
And uh, when he gets there, he encounters a man called Aeneas. Um, now, that's a Greek name. You might know that from your Greek uh, books, history. Um, but we know nothing more than that, um, that his name is Aeneas. And the only other thing we know about Aeneas is that he's been paralyzed for eight years. Um, this paralysis probably came on him later, or he's eight years old. But I think uh, the text rather says that this is a, an, a grown-up man who has been paralyzed for eight years. He doesn't actually go and ask Pamza to heal him. Peter sees that he is paralyzed, comes up to him, and says this, Jesus Christ heals you, get up and roll up your mat. Of course, that takes us back to the words of Jesus, but there's a difference, note, between what Peter does and what Jesus did. Jesus would just go up to the paralyzed man and say, get up, take up your mat and walk. Peter knows that he can't do any of this in and of his own strength. It's Jesus who heals not Peter, not any of us, of course. I hope we all know that. It is Jesus who heals through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter makes it quite clear to all of those who are around listening that he is healed in the name of Jesus Christ and through the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. And immediately that's what Aeneas does. And what happens with this healing is that it gets known throughout Lydda, throughout the plain of Sharon. Um, word of it spreads like wildfire throughout the entire region. What happens because of that is that many turn to Christ and believe. See, the healing has been an evangelistic tool to spread the good news of Christ. And so Peter is right now in Lydda. And then we turn to the story of Tabitha. But before we get to her, because we know a little bit more about her, actually, Luke wants to put a lot of flesh onto this particular woman who comes down to us throughout these centuries. Because going a little bit further back on the outside of these two small stories uh, that are formed together in Luke's, uh, in the Acts of the Apostles, beforehand we've had this amazing narrative of the conversion of the Apostle Paul. So Saul, um, a Jewish man who is a Pharisee, who is breathing murder at these people who are following this false Messiah on the way, he is going, he's got letters, he's on his way to Damascus in Syria to put them in jail and quite possibly to kill them. He's so zealous about this to cleanse all Jewish, all of the, the, the Jewish world of this sect that he is high bent to go and throw them in jail to stamp out this particular sect. And on the way, of course, you know the story. Jesus appears to him and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who are you that I'm persecuting? I'm Jesus. 
And uh, if you persecute my children, you're persecuting me, in fact, what is Jesus is saying. And so he's blinded. He goes to the, uh, the road called Straight, and, and then um, God sends Ananias to him. Scales fall off his eyes. He's baptized. And then, of course, this absolutely pivotal event in the life of the early church goes forward from there as Paul almost single-handedly goes and does his missionary journeys all through Asia Minor into what today we know as Greece, the, the gateway into Europe in Philippi and Macedonia in, uh, in Athens, in Corinth, and then eventually ends up in Rome. Meanwhile, um, people are, Christians are going and spreading themselves. But without that conversion, without that pivotal point, um, the church doesn't spread. Neither do we understand theologically what all of this means. We only understand that because of Paul's writing. So as he's setting up all of these different churches and founding these communities of Christians, then he writes to them, and thanks be to God, of course, in, G in God's perfect economy, we have his letters, and in his letters is expounding and developing what it is that Christ has done for us. We wouldn't know that without this pivotal event. So it's huge in the life of the church. And then we come to this little tiny two stories about Aeneas and Tabitha. And then after this, because we end this story with the fact that uh, Peter remains in the house of Simon the Tanner in Joppa, well, it's from there that he will travel to Caesarea. And this is another huge pivotal event in the life of the early church because what is happening in Caesarea is that Cornelius, a Roman soldier who has been praying to God, has heard that he needs to send for Peter. He doesn't know why he needs to send for Peter, but he's sending for Peter. Meanwhile, as he's sending for Peter, Peter is having these amazing visions as he's waiting for his noonday meal, and these sheets come down with all of these unclean things that Jews shouldn't be eating, and he's being told to get up and eat them, and he's going, I'm not eating them, they're unclean. And God says, don't call unclean what I call clean. And then he gets word that he's supposed to go to Cornelius' house, and as he's talking about the gospel to Cornelius and the entire household, the Holy Spirit falls on the entire household. They start speaking in tongues, and, and Peter's going, well, that just happened to us in the upper room. Now he twigs, now he makes a connection between the visions that he's had about this unclean food. Okay, the Gentiles were unclean, so they're part of our community. It's not just a small Jewish sect. All of the Gentiles are welcomed into this as well. This is huge. It's another pivotal point in the spread of the gospel. Without that, it just stays a small Jewish sect, maybe in Palestine. But now the Gentiles are fully part of, they don't need to become Jews before being Christians. That's a whole other story. But this actual event is what is brought up at the first council in Jerusalem when they're having that honor of the whole household of conversion of Paul and the conversion of the whole household of Cornelius so that the gospel now spreads throughout the known world, Jew and Gentile and wedged in between the 
those two amazing stories are these two little stories with two tiny kind of seemingly unconsequential people, Aeneas and Tabitha. So Tabitha is the Aramaic word, and Luke, who's who's writing primarily to a non-Jewish audience, says, okay, well now, so her name is, this is her Aramaic name, Tabitha, uh, but to you she'd be known as Dorcas. That's her Greek name, both of which mean gazelle. And the first thing that Luke wants us to know about Tabitha is that she is given over to good works very quietly in her own little town of Joppa, in her own environment. She is given over to good works and to giving financially to help others in need. And we know also from the story that there are a lot of widows around her. We'll remember back in the story of Acts that one of the reasons that the church raised up deacons, Stephen of whom being one, Philip another, was because the widows and the orphans, the Greek ones, weren't being cared for. So we have the order of deacons to help care for the widows and the orphans. Well, here is Dorcas or Tabitha caring for the widows because there are a mass of them in the house with her. And we know that while Peter has been in Lydda, she has fallen sick. We don't know how old she is. We just know that she's fallen sick and she's died. And the widows have taken her to her upstairs room. So she's probably a woman of some means. Um, she's taken up there, they've washed her, they've laid her out, and then, and she's also called a disciple, so that we know that, uh, not like the twelve, but she's a disciple, a follower of Christ, there are other disciples there, uh, there are the widows there, and they send two men out, hurriedly, because they've heard where Peter is down at Lydda. So, ten miles from uh, Joppa to Lydda, and they go, and they urge him. It's, it's, they've got, he's got to come quickly because she's going to be buried soon. Because in that, in that environment, in that culture, um, burial happened very quickly after death. So he drops everything, um, evidently, and accompanies these two men back to Joppa. And as soon as he comes in and he's led up to the upstairs room... They're all pulling out Tabitha's handwork. Isn't that a wonderful image? She loved to sew. Maybe she knitted. She did a quiet little work of handwork from her house to help others. And so they pull out these tunics, these beautiful things that she's made. This has been her quiet service to the Christian community, quietly in her own way, Um, Very unassumingly, she's done this Christian work of service. For the love of the Lord, she's continued to do this. And so Peter gets all of the, everybody out from the room, and he kneels down, and the first thing that he does is he prays. Again, full acknowledgement. Healing does not happen uh, because we say so. It happens if we pray to the Lord and give our lives open to the Lord for his work and for his power to work through us. And so the first thing that Peter does is he kneels beside her bed 
and prays. And he stands up and he talks to a corpse. He says, Tabitha, get up. And that here is like Talitha Kum, doesn't it? Jesus went up into the upper room, into the synagogue leader's house, and in Aramaic said to the little girl who was little, that's what Talitha means, the little girl, little girl 12 years old, Talitha Kum. Peter, after praying to that same Jesus, turns to Tabitha and says, Tabitha, get up. And she opens her eyes, sits up. Uh, On seeing Peter, she sits up. He extends his hand and raises her up. And then the very next thing that he does is he shows her alive to all of the people who are in the house. And what happens next in the case of Tabitha is what happened in the case of Aeneas is that the word about this amazing healing spreads throughout Joppa and probably the surrounding countryside as well. And what happens because of that is that, again, we hear many turn to the Lord and believe. Now, there were evidently others who died who had done service to the Lord. There were others maybe who were paralyzed. It continues to be a mystery to us why some are cured and some are healed by passing into the nearer presence of Christ. But you see, that's the point. The point is is that when a healing takes place, we have to shout it from the rooftops. We have to acknowledge that this is Christ at work because in that acknowledgement, others may come to know Christ because that is the healing. That is the biggest healing that any mortal can receive because that's the healing from being merely mortal to living into immortality with Jesus Christ, to be forgiven of our sins That's the ultimate healing. So these healings are publicized so that others may believe and receive that which is the greatest healing that we've received from the lamb who was slain, from the great good shepherd of the sheep. But I want to say this to you as well. These amazingly important, pivotal events in the life of the church and these small two in God's eyes Any ministry that is done to the Lord in his name to show forth his love into the world has the same validity in the eyes of the Lord. Whether or not you are doing some small handwork and giving it over to God in the quiet of your room, if you are giving money to help with the poor, whatever you are doing, it might seem quite are inconsequential to you. It might not seem like this huge thing that happened with Paul or this huge thing that happened with Peter in the life of Cornelius. But it's there. Luke puts it there to say, your work in Christ is equally important. Whatever you do, if you do it for the Lord... God is so pleased. He loves it when we work for him in quiet, unassuming ways. Because anything that can reveal the love of Christ gives glory to God and draws others in to his family. 
to the ones he loves. You know, we've said before, many years ago, our vestry got together and, and uh, the, the statement that we have is, is that the church of the Good Shepherd is about revealing Christ's love. That's what each and every one of us are called to do, whether we do it in song, whether we do it in handwork, whether we do it in giving, whether we do it in acts of hospitality, whether or not we do it in teaching, whether we do it in mentoring, whether we do it in volunteering in the office, um, in the prayer ministry, whatever it is, if we do it for the love of Christ, then we reveal his love to the world. And God rejoices in that so I encourage you today in all of your various and I look out here and I know where you are what you're doing in these small areas of ministry know that in the reminder of Aeneas and especially in the reminder of Tabitha of Dorcas that the Lord lifts up that ministry acknowledges and rejoices in it. May we do likewise. Amen.